Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the land, snow's glistening. Hey everybody, welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Merry Christmas. I am, in fact, recording this on Christmas, and get ready to hear a lot of voice sounding like this, because I am sick with a cold that has been working its way through Los Angeles and has netted itself a nice new victim in your lovely host. So I'm going to power through this episode for you so that you do have something coming out of your uh, your post-holiday festivities, and it's going to be Christmas-themed. I know not everybody out there celebrates Christmas, but... In effort to uh, to provide you some additional holiday merriment, I thought it would be a fun little thing for me to do, especially when my voice is, is uh, threatening to go out on me here, to go through the classic Christmas tale by Charles Dickens and just point out a little bit how it's a very libertarian story in a lot of ways that people may or may not recognize. And uh, while I was watching it, because I've watched... Numerous versions. I mean, there's so many versions out there, which I will be ranking momentarily. But when watching it, you know, I, I, I clearly libertarians don't watch things in the same way that other people do. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. So I want to provide my thoughts, walk us through a Christmas carol, and give my take from a libertarian perspective. Now, before I do that, I do want to give the definitive rankings on a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and where the most popular versions rank as far as I'm concerned. And of course me being your host and guide through all things, Liberty pop culture and comedy. I think I know a thing or two about a thing or two. So starting off, hold on, let me take a little sip of my, uh, I got a little Irish coffee going here, a little Bailey's and whiskey in my coffee to try to keep my, uh, my pipes lubed and the jokes flowing. All right. So number one on the list of Christmas Carol, a Muppet Christmas Carol. Number one with a bullet. The best ever. You've got fantastic Muppets coming from Jim Henson. Directed by Jim Henson's son. Executive produced by the one and only Frank Oz. Hard to beat. And of course, you've got Michael Caine. The one and only Michael Caine in there. As Ebenezer Scrooge. Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit. The best Musical I've seen for Christmas Carol. By the way, the songs in this film, fantastic. So number one, Muppet Christmas Carol. Gets me every time. Number two, Bill Murray and Scrooged. Bill Murray and Scrooge, fantastic comedic take on A Christmas Carol. You know, because it gets stale after a while, but that movie always delivers. Very sweet at the end. And got, got a couple tear-jerking moments in there when the little mute boy runs up. Not to spoil it for you. If you haven't seen it, make sure to put it on your list. Number three, I would venture to say Walt Disney's Mickey's Christmas Carol. It's only a half an hour long. Easy to watch if you have kids just to get a shot in the arm of Christmas cheer. Number four, 
a traditional Christmas Carol movie, a, tr- a Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott, Zebenezer Scrooge. Gotta love that. George C. Scott. I, gotta, I can't even do the voice. I'm going to die trying to do it. There will not be a lot of accents or voices today. My throat can't handle it. And number five, just to round it out, even though I don't really like this movie very much, but Jim Carrey's version of A Christmas Carol, where Jim Carrey plays every role, the creepiest of which is Jim Carrey playing the ghost of Christmas past in this weird, lisping, lilting angel voice, which just creeps the shit out of me. So there you go. Definitive list. If you disagree, you can talk about it in our forum. Just go to Lions of Liberty and type it into Facebook. Type in Lions Liberty Forum. It'll pop right up. If you don't look too crazy, you ask a question about where you heard it from. Just say you heard it on the podcast. And we'll add you in there. You can weigh in with your own definitive list, which, of course, I'll disagree with you on because there can only be one right answer, and it's mine. Okay, so let's get into a Christmas carol, or what I will call a libertarian Christmas carol. <laughs> with my nice little sleigh bell effect for one second. <laughs> okay, so we're all familiar with the story of Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, this famous story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who is known as a miser, a man so cold, so flinty, cold-hearted that people shudder at the thought of him that no one would wish this man around, that he's considered a a man beneath a cockroach, as even his family jokes about. You know, it's a, a famous parlor scene wherein his brother uh, or his nephew and his wife and his friends are playing, you know, 20 questions or some such game. And they're saying, oh, well, this, this being a pitiable creature, unwanted by any. And they're guessing a cockroach, a rat. No, no. And they go, oh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, what a hilarious larf. But I find the character of Ebenezer Scrooge to actually be someone who could be quite enviable. So our story begins with Ebenezer Scrooge in his counting house. His uh, assistant slash apprentice slash uh, worker, Bob Cratchit, sits at his side, counting and uh, and running, writing down ledgers and freezing. There's uh, hardly a, a lump of coal so small it can barely keep a man warm. He's trying to warm himself by a candle. A truly pitiable scene. And he asked Ebenezer if he can have some more coal. And he says, no, as is his right as a business owner. And he says... Okay, well, Bob Cratchit, you want tomorrow off, I presume. And Bob Cratchit says, of course, you know, tomorrow being Christmas Day. And Ebenezer Scrooge is not happy with this, but he acquiesces because this is a voluntary relationship between an employer and an employee, is it not? So Bob Cratchit asks for the day off, and Scrooge says, okay, yes, you can have the day off. But I expect you to work all the hard of the day after. And with that, we part ways. Bob Cratchit leaves to go home to his loving family, which there are several several of the Cratchit kids, including little tiny Tim, who's got an affliction. And Scrooge walks home, and he walks home to his mansion, which he is a former residence of his old partner, Bob Marley. And he goes inside his house. He's rented out most of the room, so it's very empty. It's very cold, drafty. Scrooge goes in his rooms. He has a solitary dinner. But before he does, he's visited. By the specter of his old friend, Bob Marley, who comes in and he's weighed down in spectral form with boxes and chains, money boxes, mind you. And he's moaning. It looks miserable. And Scrooge is understandably taken aback, says, oh, my God, what is this? Is this something I've eaten wrong? You know, there's, this could be a bit of cheese gone wrong. There's more gravy than grave to this ghost. 
But he's rattled because Marley proves that he is, in fact, his old partner that has come back from the dead to haunt Ebenezer Scrooge in order to tell him something very important, to stop him from becoming like Bob Marley himself. Bob Marley? <laughs> I, think that, I think that actually is his name. I didn't thought about that. Bob Marley. Anywho. <laughs> Moving on, not the reggae singer, mind you. The uh, nineteen or the eighteen sixty four. Sorry, I'm cracking myself up. A little loopy and cough medicine, but yeah, not not the reggae singer, but the eighteen sixty four banker, Bob Marley, Robert Marley. Let's call him. So Robert Marley warns Scrooge. He says, "Hey, don't become like me. Those of us who are." doomed to walk the earth like this. We see people in the streets that we could have helped during life, and we chose to not not aid these people in their times of need. We chose to walk on by. We chose to profit off of them. We now are doomed to walk the earth, helplessly trying to aid people who we can no longer help, wandering with our money as our anchor, anchoring us to this mortal plane. And Scrooge takes this to heart after a while, and this he's warned by this, this Marley, his, his former partner, his apartments he now resides in. He's warned that he'll be visited by three spirits coming at different times of night. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And with that, the ghost of his former partner departs, and Scrooge goes back to bed, thinking nothing of it. Now he's thinking, oh, this, this, this must not have been anything at all. Now, let's take a step back for a moment and look at the state of Scrooge as he is right now, because we're about to learn a little bit about Scrooge's past. And in the run up to this, uh, this visitation by a ghost, Scrooge is visited by two, two men that were asking for charity and Scrooge turned them away. And he makes a very interesting statement saying that, well, you know, gentlemen, if there were not poor that needed to be helped, if I were to give you all my money. And we're all to give all our money to the poor. Well, then there wouldn't be any poor anymore, would there? And of course, the the men say, well, I guess so. And he says, well, if there weren't any poor in existence, then you gentlemen, we have a job, wouldn't you? I guess they have to agree to that. Now, that on its own is meant to show how hard-hearted Scrooge is. But before we move on to to the later parts of the plot, I did want to talk about this because it struck in me, again, with my libertarian mind buzzing, it struck in me a thought... And that thought was that this is a broad statement, not intentionally by Dickens, but I'm going to read into it and say that, you know, this is kind of the state of government where you look at people like this. And I and granted, I'm all for private charities. But if you look at the state of government and you look at how many people are employed by the downtrodden masses that exist under this uh, state government, which we all are forced to live under. And how many are created by virtue of programs designed to aid the poor that actually hurt? You'll see that Scrooge's statement here actually holds a lot of water. That we have so many people that exist that work for, let's say, the IRS. Like, for example, when Obamacare got pushed through, forced down our throats, they had to hire some additional 10,000 IRS agents because all of the additional paperwork (coughs) and tax work that had to be done in order to make people comply with the law and to tax people appropriately that didn't want to pay for their health care, all these people had to be hired on. Now, this is a situation wherein you've got government employed in order to take advantage of what is ostensibly supposed to be put forth as a charitable act by government. We're doing this for your own good. We're here to help you. 
by forcing you into this healthcare. Or we can also broaden that out and look at poverty or welfare, any of these programs, which continue to expand under the government auspices. And they continue to be funded at a, a, a rate that can't just can't last. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's billions upon billions upon billions of dollars a year. Yet, we don't see a return on that investment. We just see the exact same poverty level stay exactly where it is. Actually, it's gotten higher. So the poverty level keeps going up. Meanwhile, the amount of spending, the amount of hiring for people to oversee this bureaucracy keeps going up, and the size of the beast gets larger. And that's what's so funny about this Scrooge example is that in Scrooge's example, at least, if he as a private individual were to go into, go up to however many people these gentlemen represent, let's say it's 45 people in Old Town London in their district. If he was to give them all the money, now granted, there's nothing to say that they wouldn't immediately go out and blow it because we can't presume that people know how to manage money or know how to manage their lives necessarily, even if they're given proper funds. But let's say presumably they can, that these gentlemen be out of a job. So what incentive is there for them to actually help the poor to succeed? And in the same way, government, what really, what need is there for the people that work for the government to oversee the poor, to oversee the uh, the downtrodden masses that supposedly need their assistance, despite the fact that the assistance is part of the reason why they are stuck in the rut that they're in, do they really want to solve these problems? Because if they did, aren't they going to put themselves out of a job? And as we know anything about government, that's the last thing that the government wants. Whether that be from social programs to warfare. I mean, we can't get our asses out of the Middle East. Because God forbid we put ourselves out of a job. Okay. It's going to be a lot of side tangents here. So moving along, Scrooge is visited by the first ghost. The bell's toll. He he feels a, a rustle in his bed covers, and he looks down, and sure as shit, there's a ghost there. And this ghost is the ghost of Christmas past. It looks like an angelic child. <clears throat> it's got a little a wispy light about its head that's hard to look at. It almost as if different eras of time emerging at once within this spectral creature. The creature says, Scrooge, come, take my hand, so I show you the wonders of your past. And they fly back in time, Scrooge holding on to this creature's waistcoat. They fly backwards until they land <laughs> where Scrooge grew up. He sees all the joys of his boyhood upbringing, wherein he was actually, despite having some friends that he recognized, he was actually a very solitary figure. He was sent to boarding school by his father, who was a rigid man. Welcomed back a little later by his sister and his father, but still always had a little bit of a loner atmosphere about him. Then we fast forward and we see Scrooge at his old place of work, old Fezziwigs. And old Fezziwig was a jolly sort. A man who was free with his money, but also freer with his praise. And they show him having a party, Fezziwig, everyone dancing around and and cavorting, etc., etc. Now, the thing that they don't emphasize, because this story, for the most part, really likes to focus on rich versus poor. Rich, so you can be rich but poor of spirit, poor of generosity. But it paints the poor as though they are always rich in spirit, even though they are not rich in funding. And it paints charity and generosity as something that is an, an all-encompassing good. And I agree that charity and generosity are good things when they are voluntary. And they show Fezziwig, who's having this party, he's freely sharing with his employees. And his employees are without a doubt loyal to him because of this sharing. 
But the thing is, Fezziwig, to, to be allowed to do this, to allow to, to share and uh, be so generous, has to be a capitalist, does he not? He runs a thriving business at which Scrooge is a clerk or a page or an apprentice learning the trade. So he came up under Fezziwig. And then Fezziwig later made him into a partner. So we see this as well. We fast forward a little bit in time. And we see Scrooge turn away a woman that he was in love with. And really, in the book, we don't really see a good reasoning for this, if we're being honest, other than Scrooge decided he liked money more than this woman, which, you know, if that's the case, that's the case. But they also paint Scrooge over this time as a sort of slumlord. We go back and forth and we see that they're kind of, uh, they're ragging on him. We cut, we fast forward. So we come out of his past where we see Scrooge's He's learning a little bit from looking backwards and seeing how Fezziwig treated people. We're seeing how he regrets that he let his lady love go because he was concentrating on business. Never mind that people have done that same thing time and time again. Personal choice, mind you, personal choice. So we come back and now we're with the ghost of Christmas present. Scrooge no sooner sets foot in his bedroom than the big jolly ghost of Christmas present comes. A massive giant of a man jovial the feast in front of him so this man also whisks scrooge away and he whisks him over to show him what's happening at bob cratchit's house bob cratchit who works for scrooge and has for some 10 years making a pittance but enough to live on and scrooge peers through the window at bob cratchit's house and he sees that they have a meager feast on the table but yet bob cratchit does have several children he's got a wife he's got a house they're eating, there's food on the table. No one is forcing Bob Cratchit to work for Ebenezer Scrooge. And you think with 10 years of experience, a loyal and dedicated servant who's learned how to, uh, to, to manage the books, learns, he knows how to read and write, which in 1864 London, I'm sure wasn't something that everyone knew how to do. Surely this man, should he want to, could find other employment. No one's forcing him to stay and work for Ebenezer Scrooge. And I also want to point out that Ebenezer Scrooge is, for better or worse, paying the man a living wage. He's paying him a wage on which he can support a family of five, minimum five, depending on which uh, story you're reading, but minimum of five people on. And so I, I, I alluded to the fact that, that Scrooge is somewhat of a slumlord earlier. So in different versions, they they crack down on Scrooge because he would run these these beat up apartments where the poor would live and then he would collect from the poor. So it's this narrative of, oh, he's built his fortune upon the backs of the downtrodden. However, as we have seen throughout time, you have two choices when you're building housing. You either build housing or purchase housing wherein people could live in that housing for what their market will bear. And I mean, their market, they can afford to pay X number of dollars. And that small amount that they're willing or, or can pay in order to have a roof over their heads, is not going to warrant them having a luxury apartment complex. It is not going to warrant them having an apartment complex where things are fixed immediately. And we see this time and time again play out in the free market, wherein people that have rent-controlled apartments, where people of very low income or lower income are living in, they say, oh, well, I want this and this, you know, this doesn't work and that doesn't work. But in the meantime, the market's set up in the fact that if you introduce rent controls, which get in the way of the free market operating. So if you have rent controls in place, you have a landlord that says, well, I'm actually going to be losing money by fixing this stuff. I don't have any incentive because I, I can't charge you anymore. I'm putting much more money into this and I can't make any more profit to even out the 
the amount of money I'm paying in to fix these or to upgrade any of these services. So when you look at Scrooge and his slumlord, quote unquote, slumlord status, providing housing to the poorest of London in 1864, but still at a wage which they can afford. I would argue that the man is actually doing a good. He's providing a service that the free market has demanded at the market price. And at this time, they didn't have rent control. So clearly, this is whatever the free market will bear. So these people are probably paying a very, very low amount in order to have housing. I'm sorry you don't have indoor plumbing, but you do have somewhere to live and you are able to survive and you are able to apparently have children. So let's just keep that in mind as well. So I'm not going to rag on Scrooge for being a quote-unquote slumber and making his money off that or, or making money, giving people loans, which they need. Because the man doesn't seem to be going out of his way to kick people out unnecessarily. He kicks people out if they don't pay him his rent on time. And you know what? If I don't pay my rent on time, I also get threatening letters that say they're going to kick me out. That's called business. So Scrooge, though, does see Bob Cratchit living in the present times, and he's moved because he's moved by seeing Bob Cratchit's situation with Tiny Tim. Now, Tiny Tim is his youngest son, adorable little scamp of a child, and Tiny Tim has an affliction, whether it be cancer or a gimpy leg. It tends to be a gimpy leg and some sort of other affliction. He's a sickly child, but apparently Bob Cratchit doesn't have enough money to pay for the doctors or the surgeries that he might need. Now you could ask, well, maybe he should go to Scrooge and ask him if he would take care of it or if they could work out some sort of situation wherein Scrooge helps pay for his health care. Again, this being a voluntary relationship, that is something that could be on the table and or Bob Cratchit could leave, go to a different employer and ask for help and or Bob Cratchit could go to another charitable organization and see if they would help, etc. He has done nothing of this. So the question is, is Bob Cratchit a coward <laughs> or is he just a bad businessman? Nevertheless, Scrooge sees Tiny Tim's situation, what a joyous environment these people live in, and he's moved. He's moved by seeing this firsthand because Scrooge has not been in this environment where he has been exposed to this directly. And I say this, how many people do you know that are very actively involved with a cancer charity or a charity that helps animals or a charity that helps homeless people? Now, it's not because they themselves necessarily just randomly had the goodness of their hearts decided this was a, a thing they're going to support out of the blue. Now, that does happen. I myself support a lot of charities that work with special needs children. That uh, is something that struck me. But again, I was inspired by seeing something along the way. I was inspired by seeing a child who was handicapped, and I said, I want to help. Or I was inspired to go uh, go help out at this you know, a foster care that I work with. So that does happen, but... Scrooge being exposed to this firsthand, seeing this, which he did not know about before, he's moved. You know, this is a self-reflective process. So Scrooge is like, you know, it's, oh my God, I can't believe this tiny Tim will, oh, what will happen, spirit? I can't believe this is going on. So now we go back again, Scrooge's bedchambers, and now he's dumped off on the ghost of Christmas future. And the ghost of Christmas future shows Scrooge that tiny Tim will in fact die. If he's not helped. And just like anyone, when shown that if they do not have direct impact on someone's life, like for example, if you walked up to virtually anyone on the street and you show them through a horrific vision of the future (laughs) that someone that they could help easily would die, especially if it's a cute little child with a limp, but that person would die if you don't give them $20, you're probably going to be like, 
Yeah, okay, I'll give you the $20, right? Right. So Scrooge is inspired by this, seeing the tiny Tim will die, pass away. And he's also inspired by the fact that the ghost of Christmas future shows him that he himself will end up in the grave. Now, regardless, Scrooge will end up in the grave either way. But Scrooge, seeing that he will end up in the grave presumably earlier than he would have previously, is extra inspired. Because this is self-motivating. This is a self-motivating factor which plays very heavily into every single action that we have and every single action that happens within the free market and or public societies. And with that, we'll take a quick break and be right back. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. All right, we are back, guys. I can't remember if I said at the top of the show, but this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 52, by the by. All right, so we're back with our Libertarian Christmas Carol. And as I as I left off before the break, Ebenezer Scrooge saw the error of his ways and that he could he could change the world. He could change Tiny Tim's outcome. He changed the outcome for himself. Because this is a self-motivating kind of factor here. Because who is not going to change the way they're acting if they're presented with either the option of dying early or continuing to live one's life? And you're still rich, by the way. <laughs> Just because you do a little bit more charity doesn't mean you're not poor. So what does Scrooge do now that he wakes up and he says, oh, my God, it's Christmas morning. And he feels light as a feather. Feels like he's on top of the world. So he goes out and he says, okay, now I'm going to go buy the biggest goose. I'm going to bring it to Bob Cratchit. I'm going to buy all these toys. I'm going to be a different man, a better man. And, you know, you see this a lot play out in real life, wherein people do have scares in their lives and they reprioritize what's important to them. Or you see people have midlife crises or crises. I know my, my grandfather, it's a story from my own life, and my father told me that my grandfather was a little bit colder growing up to my father. And my uncle died when I was probably around nine or 10, I think. Uh, my Uncle Bob. So my Uncle Bob passed away. It was two brothers, my father, Jamie, and my Uncle Bob. So my Uncle Bob died, and I think my grandfather, when that happened, realized that he had not spent as much time as he would have liked to with his children. Um, that, and that family was a lot more important. So throughout my life, throughout my upbringing, my grandfather was very present, uh, was very attentive, very loving grandparent and, and, you know, a well-off guy. He's a very intelligent man. So we see this happen a lot where people do experience a life crisis or something where they're presented with, uh, uh, an awakening moment. So Scrooge is presented with this awakening moment as we all have seen in the past. And he rushes out. Now he's changed his ways. He goes and surprises Bob Cratchit. He says, Bob, not only have I brought you all these gifts and toys, but I'm also going to make you a partner in my firm. Yes, it's going to be 
Scrooge and Cratchit. So, what happens? We see Bob Cratchit, despite not being the best negotiator in a voluntary relationship with Ebenezer Scrooge, contracted relationship that he was not forced into, has, because he's put in the time as the apprenticeship, maybe not making the best wages he could, but he's now a partner and he's going to be set up to make a lot of money. He did that through hard work. He did that through loyalty to his to his employer at the time, even though he probably could have gotten a better shake somewhere else. Now, again, he doesn't know that Ebenezer Scrooge is going to randomly have this awakening, but maybe he had an inkling of faith in him. So we see this is the relationship from the employer-employee that's not being coerced by the state. And on a broader level, I want to make the point that I alluded to earlier with old Fezziwig, and that is I think people take away from A Christmas Carol the point that greed is evil and that choosing money over family or relationships or over uh, having a, a genial interaction with people it should be hated and means that you're a bad person. Meanwhile, Ebenezer Scrooge is a man who made his way in the, in the free marketplace made his own decisions of his own free will and never forced anyone into anything by a coercive means. Every single one of these relationships that he's made money off of is a voluntarily signed contract in the free market. And as I said earlier, he's providing services for people at market value and these people could not find housing anywhere else. Otherwise they would. So really he's providing a incredibly valuable service to the poorest people at the time being. Now, the other thing I want to mention, too, is that <laughs> you can't have charity, the act of generosity, you, can, you simply cannot have without wealth, pure and simple. And for these, for people to take away or for Charles Dickens to say that, oh, well, you know, to accrue wealth at the expense of other things is, uh, is, is ridiculous and evil. No, you have to accrue wealth. By accruing wealth, you then have the ability do not only pay for your own costs, but also pay for the opportunity costs that might help other people, investing in other businesses, helping other people out, giving to charities. And it drives me nuts when people ignore the fact that all these corporations that exist today give an incredible amount of money to charity. Incredible amounts of money. Are they tax write-off? Sure. Do I care? No. <laughs> I'm glad they are. I'd rather them have the tax write-off and give that money to, to charity to help people. But it's also become much more prevalent now to have corporate responsibility because with the rise of the internet, again, another example of the free market thriving, with the rise of the internet commentary and Yelp and all these people being able to Google information at your fingertips, you've got corporations that want to be seen as doing a public good. You've got Walmart flying in cases of water to tornado and flood ravaged regions. You have corporations going out of their way to build shelters and houses where they're needed. Scrooge is only able to be so generous now. He's only able to give Bob Cratchit a partnership position because of the amount of work that he had put in earlier and because of the sacrifices that he had put in earlier to accrue this money and accrue this wealth. This reinforces the fact the free market is the best way to help people by virtue of opportunity. Scrooge himself, he was screwed. He was very poor before. Before becoming wealthy, by virtue of taking the opportunity, working hard, putting in his time, working his way up, smartly investing, learning the trade. And once that wealth was achieved, he was able to share it voluntarily. Now, that key phrase comes into play too. Because voluntarism 
and voluntarily share your money rather than having it be taken away is exceptionally important. See, self-involvement, which I talked about earlier with Scrooge's uh, impetus to become such a giving man, self-involvement leads to charity in most cases. You got cancer, now you want to give to cancer. You adopted a dog, now you want to help other dogs, etc. The free market provides opportunity and creates wealth, which then in turn people can parlay out into any number of resources or causes that they want to support. But in a socialist society, wherein people don't have the opportunity to go out and under capitalist rules, accrue wealth and accrue money, no one's going to be supporting charities. And no one is rich. There is no socialist slash communist society you can point to in the world wherein people have the opportunity to better themselves and make more money, which they can then spend on whatever opportunities they would like without being capitalist. I kind of lost my train of thought halfway through there, but I played the cold meds. But to circle back around, there's no socialist or communist society wherein people are wealthy across the board. It doesn't happen. People are uniformly vastly, vastly poor. Look at Venezuela right now in Maduro. People that were formerly rich are now poor. Everyone is poor. Except for a few elite bureaucrats who are well, you know, they are the ones that are the real Scrooges of the situation. They are hoarding money that they did not actually earn. They're using it uh, for their own nefarious purposes to basically just reinforce their own wealth and will and own power. But meanwhile, they've not actually put in the time or the money or the, uh, or the work product to earn this wealth as would happen with a capitalist society. So really, when you look at it, we need more Scrooges. We need more people that are going to opportunistically increase their wealth. And then through the process of self-realization, which is how this happens, realize that they now want to share that as they get older, as they get through the portion of their life where they might not have as much money. That's what happens in general. People, you know, I know, especially millennials, they like to volunteer their time for causes. That's good. And I'm all for that. But when it comes to actual money, you can't actually give up a lot of the money until you get older. Ebenezer Scrooge wasn't in a position to give money to Bob Cratchit or share a partnership earlier in his life. This is something that was alluded to when he broke up with his wife or his wife-to-be and dumped her bell. And she said, well, you know, you you said when you made partner your firm, we would get married. And he said, well, we just don't have the money. This is for us. I'm saving this money for us in order for us to have a, a house and a home. And she thinks that, you know, he doesn't love her. and Maybe he didn't love her. But still, it's putting priorities on savings now versus savings later. It's, and and, and you know, this is something economists talk about all the time. It's the importance of now versus the importance of later. What is important to you now? Eating, housing, maybe taking care of your children if you have children. These are upfront costs that have to be dealt with immediately. Only later on, after you can accrue some wealth, depending on economic situations, depending on what you're doing and, and, and how you're living your life, now you can accrue some more wealth. Now you can put this money away into savings account, which then you can use on something later that's more opportunistic. Forced charity, like the kind that the government likes to partake in with all these socialist welfare programs that they like to put into play, the welfare state as we know it, forced charity accomplishes less. It has poorer results. And people feel they have nothing to do with it because the government's handling it. You have people, especially on the left, and this is statistically proven, progressives give far less money to charity than do conservatives. The reasoning for this 
is because progressives feel like they're putting in the time to say, we want this. We want, we want to have these causes. We want this to be taxed. I don't have to give to it. So great. So you want to have the government handle it so you don't have to get your hands dirty. Meanwhile, conservatives tend to say, okay, I want to support this cause. I want to support this charity. I don't believe the government's role is to do that. So they give their own money and they give their own time. And it's much more effective in the secondary situation. When government handles anything, all you get is bureaucracy and waste constantly. Poverty keeps increasing. Expense keeps increasing. And we look at the state of education even. That's not a charity. That's just a public service. And that's in a state of complete disarray. The point being, the moral of this libertarian Christmas carol is let's all be a hell of a lot more like Ebenezer Scrooge and try to change more lives in more meaningful ways through our own personal interaction and generosity. All right, that's about it. My throat is uh, basically dead. So, guys, Merry Christmas. From me, Brian McWilliams here at Electric Liberty Land, from the Lions of Liberty, I hope you tuned into our Naughty or Nice special. That was Monday's show. Please catch that. Uh, if you want to give me a Christmas present, a nice iTunes review, or to share the show would be great. And, of course, you can always support us and support the Lions of Liberty in general at the Lions of Liberty, or excuse me, lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. That's where you can join our Liberty Pride, which has all sorts of bonus content. Uh, right now, we're doing a special. Well, actually, it's going to be over by the time this airs. <laughs> but if you sign up, you will get a, uh, depending on the level you sign up at, you got some T-shirts chucked in there. You got some, uh, some special calls with us at a special level, a $25 level. You get to talk with us directly once a month on the phone call. So lots of good stuff for you guys. Anyway, from the bottom of my heart, I do want to say thank you so much for another year. Uh, Electric Liberty Land has been a great joy for me to, to produce and to host, and I would not be able to do it without your support and your listenership. So from the bottom of my heart, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I will talk to you on the other side of 2018.